Welcome to Saucer Cinema, the podcast about UFOs, aliens, and otherworldly phenomena in film, TV, and other media. I'm your host, Alex. On this week's episode, I am talking to Jody Beth LaFosse about 1985's Euphoria, directed by John Binder. everybody today i have jody beth lafosse on the podcast lafosse lafosse La okay sorry <laughs> i've actually never heard it said out loud so lafosse she is a writer and has a substack called tropic of entropy tropic of entropy she's here to talk uh, with me about the film euphoria uh which i believe was released in 1985 or 1986 it was 1985 yeah, yeah. I think it was filmed much earlier. Yes, here, here is what I have on that. It was filming completed in 1981. Uh, there was no theatrical release until 1985 and no home video release until 1987. Yeah, I believe there was like a lot of issues with like the, the song rights or something that was on the soundtrack. What happened with it... Uh, it so it bounced around between these failed distribution agreements and didn't get any traction until the Film X Festival in Los Angeles showed it in 1984. And then it became kind of a minor cult sensation. Film X was a festival that started in 1971, eventually developed into the American Cinematheque, which still exists as a major organization in LA for repertory film. But you know, anyway, so at the time after this, you know, Filmex debut, uh, or I guess a little bit later when it started, when it started screening like more nationwide, uh, it got positive reviews from both Roger Ebert and Vincent Canby. Yeah, yeah, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert. Uh, I remember. I remember reading his uh, glowing review as a kid in the in his uh, review book. I think he's kind of charmed by it. Yeah, yeah, he he gave it four stars. I mean, he he was a big big champion of the movie. Um, he says the uh, the movie is not really about whether they, meaning the UFO, come or not. It's about how waiting for them can give you something wonderful to think about to pass the time of those dreary, dusty days. Yes, exactly. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> And of course, the movie stars uh, Fred Ward, Harry Dean Stanton, and uh, Cindy Williams. Yeah, Cindy Williams of Laverne and Shirley fame. And I found it very charming. I, I really liked it. It's pretty short. It's just a very pleasant movie to watch. Yeah, it's about 90 minutes. And it, you know, it's very compact and efficient. It just moves along at like a really nice clip. Yeah, which for a very like character-based kind of movie is, is actually very uh, uh, nice. It's about a drifter played by Fred Ward comes into town he visits an old friend of his who's like a, re a tent preacher revival <laughs> scammer guy and uh he kind of like shacks up with this local grocery store cashier and she is obsessed with this uh idea of uh that the ufos are coming because uh, i believe it's, she's it's spurred by what like a local sighting like these two this couple like sees a that comes in later yeah but, yeah she's working at the grocery store and she there are always these tabloids around near her checkout station and they've got like big, you know, UFO headlines on them. Oh yeah, of course. And um, yeah. Oh man. That just, that just makes reminds me of how much I miss the weekly world news. Oh yeah. Oh God. Like I just, just miss seeing bat boys, sweet face on that <laughs> rack, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I really, I really miss that uh, publication. I, uh, but sadly it's no longer. How long ago did they cease publication? I don't know, about 10 years ago, maybe, maybe more. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know why. I think it might still like exist in some online capacity, but yeah, I don't know. I think it might, I got just eclipsed by all the other, you know. Um, there's just so much content right now. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much goofy, goofy shit out there. Before we go too deep into the, the plot of the movie, let's talk about who made it. 
this guy whose name is either John Binder or John Binder. I don't know how he pronounces it. I don't know either. It's Binder Binder. Yeah. There's not a lot of information out there about him. Here's what I could find. Uh, so in, in, in 1996, he wrote and directed a short-lived series on TNT called The Lazarus Man. Oh, yeah. Which was apparently a Reconstruction-era amnesia story that starred Robert Urich. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I believe Rob, Robert Urich died of cancer during the show. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's why it kind um, of got canceled earlier or something. I don't know. Yeah, because it was only one season. It may have, it may have, it may have ended because Urich died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Binder was also a writer on Houston, The Legend of Texas, a TV movie in 1986 about Sam Houston starring Sam Elliott. Oh, oh, wow. No, that's yeah, I know. that's appropriate <laughs> casting. <laughs> yeah. Binder is also credited as a director on a short called Where's My Sandwich from 2011. <laughs> oh, interesting. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't find anything on that. Uh, but more telling than that, he had the co-write credit on the screenplay for Honeysuckle Rose from 1980. Uh, that was directed by Jerry Schatzberg, who's probably best known for Panic in Needle Park. Yeah. Um, now, and this is, it's relevant because Honeysuckle Rose stars Willie Nelson as a troubled country singer, and I'm sure whatever uh, background research John Bender did in writing this in 1980 was useful uh, on Euphoria, which is obviously very heavily informed by country music, and we're saying, you know, there were there seem to be some like rights issues with the soundtrack, and you can see why when you look at the soundtrack, because it's like... T-Bone Burnett's on it, Waylon Jennings. Hank Williams. Uh, Hank Williams. John Prine. Yeah, Roger Miller. Yeah, it's like an all-star soundtrack. But yeah, I, I guess that's one of the main reasons it got locked up. And Except for that like one video release in the 80s, I think that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, uh, I, I, I found it on YouTube, and it was like a decent, yes. enough, decent enough quality to watch. Yeah, when I was visiting it, I saw the YouTube version. Yeah, and... Um, so it was like, uh, yeah, but it's, it's, you know, so for that reason, it's not like the most well-known movie. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it has a, I'm sure, I'm sure it has a following of some sort. I mean, it's, it's a, it, you I mean, it has enough to have been, uh, screened at that, uh, at anthology. Yeah. For sure. So uh, when do you saw it? Like, how was, was it like an old scratched up print or something? Or is it just, was it like. I mean, it wasn't like a gorgeous, gleaming new print. It was, it was like an average, older print. Oh, okay. Where did you see it again? At the Anthology Film Archive. Uh, that's in downtown Manhattan. That, um, and they were running a series called "Watch the Skies: Ufology on Screen." And so the the short, it was very, very, very short, like a uh, little thing by a uh, uh, 1970s. Uh, guerrilla video collective called Video Freaks, and Freaks is spelled F-R-E-E-X. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And it did a little, you know, Lanesville UFO incident was the, the name of it, and it was just about a UFO sighting in a small town. Oh, okay. It's just a very, very but how, like, how long was it short? I'm interested. I, is, it avail- is that available to see anywhere online or anything? It may, you may have to trawl the dark web a little bit, but it may be available to say online. But it's short; it's like under ten minutes, I think. Oh, okay. And uh, okay, so that was just like the, the little uh, the pre app, the little appetizer. Yeah. Okay. A news bush. Yes, <laughs> that's really uh, timely uh, for them to put that out for us. <laughs> but yeah, how did this play on the big screen for you? It was it was really exciting. Like um. It has all these different dimensions to it. Like, I think Vincent Canby mentioned that, like, it, you know, if, if you want to see it that way, it kind of plays as like a Preston Sturges screwball comedy. Mm-hmm. All kinds of like zippy dialogue, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it also sort of plays like one of the 70s Americana documentaries. Obviously, you know, it was like a fictional narrative, fictional feature, but, uh, but it plays like a documentary almost, like one of those less blank or Barbara Cobble things. Yeah, yeah. There are times when it gets kind of earnest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I really appreciated about it. You know, it's like it it, it does poke fun at believing in in religion and UFOs and things like that. But it's like it's very affectionate. 
it pokes fun at kind of the, yeah, a lot of the, the more sinister aspects of evangelism, but there's also, there are, there are more serious beats, I think, about belief being its own healing power. Yeah, yeah. I love movies about life and love in the desert. I, I don't know why. I've always been drawn to the desert and the ocean. And I think it's just like the whole concept of like this big, vast landscape that's just bigger than you. And it's just such a perfect place for, I mean, it's no wonder that most of the world religions were, you know, founded in the desert. <laughs> and more recently in California. And uh, and Euphoria, it's, it's interesting in that you get the desert and you get Southern California because it sort of it takes place in the the Mojave Desert, which is like you know of LA kind of going towards where Nevada is. Yeah. Uh, but they shot it like uh, north of LA. There are a couple of towns, Lancaster and Palmdale, and and they do a lot of shooting up there of like you know westerns and more rural stuff. Yeah. And yeah. okay, yeah, and like you know, and into the history of like uh, actual ufology and stuff, there's like a big long history with the desert, um, you know, like uh, New Mexico and California. I mean, you have like the contactee movement. Heaven's Gate were, they were both California and New Mexico at various points. And there were the, the Unarians out of San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, when I visited San Diego many, many, many years ago, I think we drove very close to where the uh, Heaven's Gate people killed themselves. Uh did the mass suicide thing. It was like only a few weeks afterwards. It was like, so it was like, it was like really interesting. I don't know. That was 1997. Yeah. Yeah. 97. So I would have been about 14 at the time. What's that big, uh, is that structure the Integratron or something? Integratron. Yeah. Integratron. There we go. Yeah. It's like, that's in the Mojave desert, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget what the guy's name was who built that. Um, is it Van, I can look it up right now. Van Tassel or something, or is that a different guy? There's like a there's a bunch of famous contactees. A lot of them were in California. George Van Tassel, yeah, who died in 1978. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so like the desert's always been a magnet for, uh, you know, kooks, visionaries, artists, all kinds of people. For for that reason, and also just because of its long history as a sort of a platform for evangelical Christianity as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what's inter- what's really interesting about this movie is like the um is like the a lot of the people in this had like there's like this interesting fusion of this UFO cult stuff and the evangelical stuff, which happens has has happened a lot in real life, but like obviously it's not really a big part of mainstream evangelical religion, but uh definitely that's an interesting I I just found that kind of interesting, like that fusion um, between that uh, beliefs, like these people don't seem to have real a real problem with the uh, um, combining that like uh, those two elements into like a single kind of belief system or whatever. Um, it's also one of the last movies where you really see hippie Jesus freaks, which is something that I had thought died out with the seventies. But in a way, this is a very seventies movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was filmed in eighty one, so it's still kind of like a seventies hangover movie, you know, like. Yeah, and, I, and I, don't, I don't know how much earlier the script was written than that. It could have been written in the 70s. Uh, but yeah, we've got the um, two Jesus freaks. They were like new parents. And like the guy was saying that he knew what it was like to be a mother because when he dropped acid, he like tried to suck milk from his own breath. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that was good. That was so funny. So out of nowhere. Yeah, I really dug that house too. Um, the the pyramid house. Um, that was really cool. I, I mean, pyramid power, of course, being a big thing in the seventies. I guess into the eighties a little bit, maybe. But yeah, a little bit. It starts going away by like the maybe eighty three or eighty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of sharp story structuring and scene transition stuff. Where it's like there's there's kind of some like zingy dialogue between Sheldon and Arlene where they're in bed and then she kind of zones out with a dreamy do you believe in flying saucers and then without an answer it like dissolves into the, the kooky retired couple yeah talking about the UFO sighting and then that's the gateway into the the hippie Jesus freaks that we haven't met yet 
yeah, and like we were introduced to like all these little characters. I mean, we're not we don't really spend a whole lot of time with them, but they're like there, and they are. But they're like they add like this texture of like the the life in the desert and like the kind of people who are drawn to it. And I I really I really like that. Um, there's also an African American couple who are. The wife works at the grocery store with Arlene, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, like, someone who keeps calling them like a unified flying object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and she's and then like her husband is like really like really like, not having it. Yeah, definitely, definitely not having it. Um, and we also have uh, what's his name? Is he he was uh, he was in Twin Peaks as the uh, he's like the human counterpart of the giant or something. He's like an old Western actor. He's been on Searchers and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. He's he's another one of them that like joins like this sort of informal group, I guess. And of course we have um Harry Dean Stanton as the uh as Brother Bud. <laughs> uh, oh my god. I mean what when when this thing actually came out in eighty five, what a career he was having. He was sort of in his like second wind. Yeah, right. Like, Repo Man the previous year. Uh, if you go to the, the Wikipedia page for Harry Dean Stanton and you scroll down to selected filmography, just the second column, which spans from 79 to 92, it's like, it's all like actual movies. You know, there's uh, like Escape from New York yeah. in 1981, which was the movie that this was shot. And then he was about to make uh, Christine, the Stephen King adaptation. And then just before it came out, as you were saying, Repo Man and Paris, Texas, and Red oh, yeah, Dawn. yeah, Paris, Texas. That's another movie. Like, I mean, very different. In the desert. But definitely, I felt like a weird, you know, it's you know, but people yearning and searching in the desert. I mean, that's again, I love that genre. Also, even though it's a very different movie, different subject matter. I, you know, not too not too long ago, I watched. Uh, finally got around. I hadn't seen it. Was Desert Hearts? You know, the lesbian romance in the des- yeah. desert, and that's a really good movie and i i really liked the uh the desert i mean again desert settings are just for some reason just a really good backdrop for things to happen I feel like a lot of independent filmmakers of the 80s used the desert as a backdrop probably because they didn't have to get permits but also it's just so filmic yeah yeah i mean you just got like all that all that endless sky and and in the land out there i mean i'm sure the, I'm and sure. europeans were fascinated by it yeah, well, I mean, well, it's, you know, because yeah, it's, it's just so different from what they have over there. It's just like this. Yeah. It's it's this. It's that. It's that final stretch of the frontier before you get to the coast, I guess. And then, uh, and, and it's just like it's such a part of the American psyche. And you can, you can really lose yourself, um, you know, which is what which is what Harry Dean did in Paris, Texas. Yeah, you know, he just went off the grid for uh, for four years. Exactly. The movie starts off with Fred Ward in the desert. And of course, Tremors is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, Tremors. He was in both Tremors 1 and 2. And he was in Escape from Alcatraz, The Right Stuff. He played a private detective named H.P. Lovecraft in an HBO movie called Cast a Deadly Spell. Yes, yes. He played Ronald Reagan in a, a 2009 French political thriller called La Faire Farewell. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> He's credited as drunk in the 2003 Bob Dylan vehicle, Masked and Anonymous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was just like, when I saw this, I was like, oh, yeah, Fred Fred Ward in the desert. Okay, we're in good hands here. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie just starts with, he's like on cruise control. His feet are up. He's got whaling playing. He's drinking. Yeah. Right away, you get who this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> It's really funny. Like there's there's so much shorthand in this movie. And things are like explained and illustrated so like minimalistically. It's almost like uh like an Ernie Bushmiller Nancy comic strip. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's very little actual plot. It's very character based, which also makes it feel like a '70s movie. Um, character based and like image image driven. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's little, um, I don't know, little like tableaus that are really effective and cool. I've always, you know, I love, I love, I love scenes with con men doing, doing like things, and so I like that scene where like, uh, the, you know, they have uh, Fred Ward's character. What was his name again in the movie? Sheldon. Sheldon. That's right. Yeah, I should remember that. <laughs> um, he's, um, you know, pretending to be like a, you know, he's in the sitting in the crowd, pretend to be a guy who's like, who's who's like cured he's by. Getting <laughs> yeah and um 
I, I, you know, it's really funny though, watching all these scenes of the tent revival and like just knowing interesting how much like American Christianity, especially Protestant evangelical Christianity is like so tied up in show business. Like last night, uh, a friend of mine sent me this uh, funny video. It was like this Christmas video. I think it was from TikTok or something, but it's actually, it was like from a church or some mega church somewhere, some performance of some Christian singing group, but they're like, they look like Chris Angel. They're like, it's like some, there's like, la- there's like lasers everywhere. They're like doing all this stuff. It's like, this is, this is a church thing, you know, <laughs> like, this is a, what is it? What does that have to do with religion? Like, and, and I just love that. The movie really illustrates the weird fusion between entertainment and religion. Um, and it straddles the seventies and eighties really interestingly. Like you, you know, it even, it, it, you know, it sets up the, the seventies evangelical showbiz thing with the tent revival yeah but then then you see the other side of it you know emerging into the 80s where you get like you know the discovery of tv as this huge medium yeah, for yeah. spreading your message and you know and, and i think of like uh ernest and ruth norman of the unarians and and mm-hmm. all the crazy stuff they did with with video yeah, um, and how Ruth went on David Letterman just to just for the spectacle of it. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And uh, like later in the movie, when like uh, Brother Bud uh, like <laughs> decides to like latch himself onto uh, Arlene's um, visions and stuff, like he he, like, he has like all his uh, his choir, his singers like dressing up in like uh, cheesy like alien antenna like. <laughs> it's so great Uh, i love that um yeah i guess so if you talk about arlene the main character the the, well the other main character the the, i guess one of one of well you can you can talk about like brother bud supporting and then talk about like arlene and sheldon as the main two yeah arlene and sheldon are the main characters and um yeah she's the and she is a um very like lonely um uh, woman living and alone in um, is she living in a tra- I think it's a trailer, right? Yeah, trailer. yeah, a trailer and um, in the desert, and she's a cashier. And uh, Sheldon just comes along, and she just kind of like gets swept up by him and everything. And they, even I mean, she's still very religious, and she keeps having these uh, dreams. I guess about I think uh, she has a vision of a flying saucer coming. But one of the main tensions in the film is between her and Sheldon who's just like a very, you know, cynical, war-weary. Uh, Not a believer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's an interesting uh, thing they got there. She keeps her around because she's lonely and he keeps her around because he needs money. Yeah. But they like each other. So I know so many people who have had relationships like that. They're just like, they're just, why are these people together? But it's just like, it's just had loneliness and they just get stuck in that kind of dynamic i guess i don't know it's interesting there, there is a scene where sheldon maybe gets a little bit tired of the the ufo stuff and he's thinking of breaking it off with arlene so he goes to the the supermarket where she works and so it's it's, it's the, the the lighting and and the um the direction are really cool here because it's like the there are these sort of nauseous fluorescents coming down from the ceiling and you can sort of see blown out highlights in this like panoramic front window that make it look like Sheldon is sort of walking towards death. He just dreads having this conversation with Arlene. Unfortunately, the version I saw, a lot of those visual details are kind of lost there a little bit because it's a bit blurry, but um, I wish I'd been able to see the, the, print you saw there uh that would have been really cool this is kind of a subtle thing that i just you know just sort of half noticed yeah but yeah he's walking slowly and uh brenda lee's break it to me gently is playing which is a little on the nose but it works yeah i mean it's i don't i don't mind the big on the nose stuff because it's like it's the it's the desert i don't know it just kind of invites a kind of exaggerated everything exaggerated in this scene the supermarket's having a fiesta days promotion and everybody has to wear like ponchos and sombreros it's really humiliating somehow i missed that <laughs> it's in it was in the the print i saw and it was on youtube yeah okay it was i probably just missed that detail yeah you know, i don't know but yeah i mean it's it's you know it's a small town grocery store 
and like you get you get you also get like a sense of some of the customers there the jesus freak hippie guy who's like a vegetarian or vegan or something and he's like you know shaming the woman for buying meat yeah it's just like oh man i just wanted to smack him right so hard right there i'm sorry <laughs> i i just i hate i hate that i hate when people are like that but um uh, but it was, it was you know, and it's, just, it's a good reminder that like i, I mean i'm not anti-hippie but they they can be fucking yeah yeah i mean that's what i mean it's not the it's not so, it's not so much what he's he's advocating as much as just the way he's doing it towards that lady and her yeah. kids i mean she's just there to get some food man you know right. you know it's just like oh god but you know it's but at the same time it just kind of shows he's this is just a very naive very uh on you know, he's just hippy dippy but a hippy dippy jesus freak too so yeah you know, he, he is really sure of himself yes 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 right. he's on a mission from god and, and nothing he says can be false because of that yeah there's a, like a really funny scene where um she like tell, she tells uh arlene uh tells him about her uh her, her visions and dreams and stuff and he's like do you believe me and he goes oh yeah i believe everything <laughs> <laughs> he's like all you gotta do is just empty your mind and <laughs> 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 it was very, uh, that was a very funny uh, bit of dialogue. Um, yeah, I mean, and he's you know, after that, he's not really a big part of the movie, but you know, he's just part of the the texture of the of it. But I, you know, I, I really like those little characters like that. Um, and you get and you know, along the way, like there's like you know, uh, Sheldon is going is often like driving back and forth, like uh, to like take these car these cars that are almost certainly stolen cars to mm-hmm. get, get, you know, get them offloaded somewhere in Vegas or wherever. And so there's like a lot of driving scenes with him and uh, this other guy, Emil, I think, um, who's like some associate of Bud's or some, uh, brother Bud's. And, you know, he has some conversations with him, you know, um, about belief and stuff like that. And uh, it's mostly just illustrating like what kind of person Sheldon is like, he, you know, he really is just like a very, you know, I don't believe anything. I just, you know, live in the moment, live for myself, you know, kind of person. Um, the movie has a nice pacing to it, and it's uh, it's not too long, but if it does falter at any point, it's kind of in these, like, Vegas driving scenes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's nothing much new that's really added there. It's just kind of, A, like, a vibe, and B like a way to like create more chaos for uh you know for act three when they need you know they need a big dramatic moment on the hill when the the ufo is actually coming down yeah yeah Yeah. exactly yeah which was really i mean which is kind of funny because that that scene towards the end where like uh the the there's that there's that kind of fake out with the uh helicopter um yeah almost directly uh kind of a rip off of that scene in uh Close Encounters, yeah, probably a, a deliberate homage, I guess. Um, I think a lot of stuff in that era was directly ripped off from Close Encounters. Oh yeah, yeah. One just little detail that I kind of dig about, about the uh, the driving stolen cars bit is uh, that there, there's a great phrase that shows up in that section, "L.A. turnaround," which you don't really hear too much anymore, but it's like '70s slang for trucker speed. So he's just like gulping them down and like with like an LA with beers too. So he's like he's constantly drinking and driving in the movie too. You know, it probably shows up in a lot of like trucker and druggy stuff in the seventies. But like Billy Joe Shaver had a song with that title, "LA Turnaround," in seventy three, and then in seventy four, the there was a British folkie named Bert Yansh who was recording in LA with Mike Nesmith of the Monkees, mm-hmm. and he called an album "LA Turnaround." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much a vibe movie all around, I'd say. Yeah, it's a very like pop vibe movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's definitely like brisk in the pacing and everything. Yeah. It's just kind of driven by characters and and their interactions with each other and just like their differing attitudes about things and. In a more or less wall to wall soundtrack. That's true. Like I, that was another thing. I was like, the soundtrack pretty much never lets up. There's actually very little quiet in the movie. Yeah, which I mean, it it works for what the movie's doing. It's not like a a bad thing. Somehow, that's what kind of makes it kind of more humorous because, like, it never really gets heavy, really. You know, Um, it's very lighthearted movie generally. It stays up in the air. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
because I feel like in a, like a more seventies ish movie, it would be a bit uh, a bit shaggier pacing, a bit more like wandering around and stuff like that. You know, like yeah. And I think I was thinking about like the ways in which it's kind of got that seventies Altman feel to it. Like a lot of the just yeah sort of pothead mania of it is is finished. like it feels like uh it definitely has kind of like the hangout vibe to a degree but then like altman also did mccabe and mrs miller where there's a lot of space yeah 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 um actually i don't know maybe like tonally it's it's also kind of california split maybe a little bit yeah yeah maybe less yelling than california split yeah 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 and um it's like this more concise version of that 70s vibe uh and which is uh i don't know it's really kind of almost refreshing it's just like really nice I, I, it's like it's a very pleasant movie like I, I i didn't have any issues with like paying attention to it i didn't have any issues with like you know i, I have severe adhd sometimes so i, I go, oh, okay. yeah <laughs> so it's like you know it could be <laughs> i mean i i i I will get sucked in by a movie though. Like I love getting sucked in by like something that just has a vibe that just, even if it's like a not much going on, like, but it just sucks you in and just feel. And sometimes that's the best. Cause you don't, you don't have too much plot to feel like feel guilty for not following. Yeah. You're just kind of like in just taking in this, this world that the film is filmmakers creating and uh, these characters and stuff. And, you know, and, and you kind of, and, and these are really, these are really mostly likable characters. I mean, Br- Brother Bud's probably the most despicable one, but he's still kind of like charming and funny. Charming is the word I was going to use here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Harry Dean Stanton, you know? And he's, it's like, he, yeah. he's kind of like, he, like, even when he's playing a cranky asshole, he's always likable, you know? Yeah. There was, there was a funny Ebert thing in that, in that Ebert review. Uh, for it right now. Harry Dean Stanton plays Brother Bud. This is exactly the kind of role Stanton has been complaining that he's tired of. The weary alcoholic con man with the jolly cynicism. Yet they keep casting him in these roles. And in Euphoria, you can see why. Nobody does a better job. End quote. Yes, exactly. I mean, he's it's, it's the, he's the guy. kind of character he's born to play. He just is that yeah. he just is that guy. But yeah, I mean, I mean, my feelings are just like, I, I just really liked it. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I think my favorite aspect of it is not, I mean, the UFO stuff, which I mean, obviously I make this podcast for a reason. That stuff resonates with me for some, for some reason. I don't really know why. Believe in ancient aliens? Uh, not that stuff as much. Which brings me to like, I love that. I love that at the beginning of the movie when they're introduced to Arlene and she's talking about like, um, Adam and Eve came in on a UFO or something like that. I believe Adam and Eve were at, were astronauts. Adam and Eve were astronauts. Yeah, because like ancient astronauts were. I mean, they obviously still are because of ancient aliens a lot. But like that, that's just that was such a huge thing in the seventies and early. Oh 90s. yeah. And um, and like they even bring up like the Ezekiel uh, passage where like, uh, you know, this, the vision that Ezekiel has of like a wheeled the wheel in the sky. Yeah. 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 Which was like one of the things that ancient astronaut, like people were always like cited as, Oh, this is a biblical UFO, you know, and all that. You see? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see? Exactly. And, um, you know, and that, that's just like a perfect example of how, like how these people do this kind of syncretic uh, fusion of all these various you know beliefs and everything and i i just i really like that like it's just kind of or shows how organically that happens yeah you can always find a quote that uh affirms what you believe yeah yeah i mean and also like just the very american aspect of just like kind of just inventing your own you know <laughs> like inventing your own like uh religion you know it's like from i mean from a, like i mean that's kind of like what what america the country was founded on you know people just trying to do their own religious thing <laughs> and then other people splintering off and doing their own religious thing etc you know it's just like yeah. it's just a very very protestant uh kind of thing that breakers and shakers and puritans and yeah all of that yeah yeah exactly i mean and like you know and the, the ufo new age cults from the 50s and 60s and 70s like that's all an extension of the same thing to a degree you know yeah and the spiritualists of the late 19th century exactly exactly yeah it's just all these people trying to make sense of the world or whatever and do you know and live and then it's just i I just love that this movie 
gently shows it and makes pokes fun a little bit at it, but it's not it's not con, it's not condescending about it, which is unusual in movies that portray this kind of milieu. You know, I think because like a lot of movies like this are would I mean for understandably would be very like critical of the hypocrisy of like religious figures and stuff, but you know it's it's not like we understand that yeah that's part of it, but it's not just about that. It's it's just a very human thing that people do um i mean you really can't have humans without some kind of religious impulse you know and everybody's got their special interest you know everybody's yeah, got their, exactly uh, like you know obsessive hobby horse yeah i mean this podcast is no exception of that kind of <laughs> it's very much an example of that same thing arlene would have a podcast Oh, absolutely. Actually, she would probably have a YouTube and a TikTok and all that. She would have it all, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. She she would be like one of those kind of psychotic TikTok people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, again, this is also kind of a bit more of a more innocent time before like, you know, the more paranoid stuff, uh, like the stuff that would lead, lead into QAnon and things like that, you know. That kind of that kind of stuff, but I really like not knowing whether that's a, a potential path for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Because like the movie literally ends with her going. I mean, with the flying saucer actually yeah. coming. So like, I mean, at least in the world of the movie, she is. Uh, you know, her beliefs are affirmed and everything. But uh, uh, there's definitely a type that would go down that path, and it's it's not very pretty um, when it happens. Something I noticed on reviewing is I, you know, I, I had assumed that the UFO coming down meant that they got raptured, but we don't actually see that. No. Like it comes down and then it goes to black. Yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of like lets you go, oh, draw your own conclusion, I guess. It's, 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 it's nice. I like that. And there's like a, a brief quote, I believe, from Brother Bud, uh, but I'm not, I don't remember what he says exactly. It's like kind of, it was kind of muffled. I couldn't really tell what he said. At the end, it was like very briefly towards just right before the credits roll. Did you notice it? I, I, um, I didn't think it was Brother Bud. I thought it was Sheldon, oh, and he was saying. I thought it was saying something like, "You have to believe in something." Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get the exact quote though. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and so like that's kind of where the, where the movie's attitude is. It's like you know, like you know, it's good to believe in something larger than yourself. You know, even if it's silly, but like as long as it's not. I mean, obviously, as long as it's not hurting somebody. Uh, <laughs> you're not being a jerk at the grocery store to people buying milk. yeah yeah exactly as long as you're, I mean but uh, yeah I really liked I mean the movie's just it's just got this nice light gentle but funny vibe and I just really liked it and uh, you know low budget cult comedies you kind of almost don't expect them to be good or like real movies yeah and this, uh, there, there's nothing in this that suggests it's not a real movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a real movie. It's it's got it's got it's got actual production value. I mean, well, I mean, not like expensive production, but you know, it's like it's comp. It's obviously competently shot and made. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not an ugly film. It's a, you know, it's a, and it's also it doesn't have the most beautiful cinematography it's it's kind of meat and potatoes in its way but there are some interesting choices yeah yeah and of course it makes a lot of the setting you know like you said there's a lot of reasons why a lot of indie uh directors have made films in the desert because it's just you don't have to do much to give it like a little bit of a personality and like because i think you know the vast majority of the desert scenes were shot uh, in Lancaster and Palmdale. And I don't think there are like Joshua trees up there, but you do at one point see where they wake up in the desert and she's like, this is where the UFO is going to come down. Yeah. And, and you can see a Joshua tree in the background, which kind of signals that they are in the place where the movie is set, which is Mojave. I like that scene where they're, I think it's right before that, where they're like, going along the strip in some town or something and they're like trying to find something to eat she's talking about something and he's like naming all these fast food restaurants you want pizza do you want taco bell yeah burger king yeah yeah Yeah. you want kentucky fried chicken and uh, yeah i don't know it just made me laugh i don't know why um because that's like real couples driving in the middle of nowhere and hungry at the end of the day that's that's the conversation they have yeah it's like also like the conversation i always have with myself when i don't feel like getting anything good 
I just want to go get some something to put my freaking gullet. The ADHD means you keep interrupting yourself with your other thoughts. Yes, exactly. They do kind of represent like how <laughs> my whole brain works kind of in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a very American thing too. I'm trying to think of some other angle I could talk about. I would, I don't know if I call a slight movie exactly because it, it does it does have some interesting themes to it, but like it definitely is like a... It's a slight movie with some interesting themes. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm trying to think of what else I can really pick apart here um i'm just looking at the the vincent canby review which i printed out uh, oh yeah the film is also perfectly cast as arlene miss williams the shirley of television's laverne and shirley comes across as someone who is as utterly sweet and sincere as she is possibly schizoid <laughs> i mean yeah i mean well there's that there's that scene where she wakes up in the middle of the night or something and like she like sees some like cops outside of her uh, house or something? I wasn't really sure what that was about. Did that ever... Oh, was, is that where... Is that after she'd spoken to the cops about the stolen cars? No, or? no, it's earlier in the movie. Like, there's like a scene... She's waking up by lights, and it's, you know, it's police lights, and she goes outside, and there's she looks through the window, and there's like somebody in the front yard or something with uh, uh, some police... Talking to some police or something, but I wasn't really sure what that was. I'm not sure... Um, I don't remember what that, yeah. that connects. I'm blanking out about what that is. Yeah. I don't know if that was like yeah. meant to be like, or I don't remember what that connects to, if anything. I don't know if that's like some threat thread that was kind of like, like lost uh, in the editing or something. I don't know. It's not like a very long scene or anything. It's just kind of in there. I don't, I mean, I, I have to rewatch it again, again, but. Yeah. It's a little like, I guess, I guess it's kind of destabilizing and you can see how, she would be thrown by it and somebody who's as fragile as she is being thrown yeah. would, you know, that, that wouldn't end well probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess it's like, yeah, kind of just more of like a character illustrating scene, I guess maybe just showing what, how like the kind of like way, way her, she's viewing the world and experiencing things. So it's like, yeah, that would make sense, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, to your, to your point about this being a, a slight movie that has, Themes that could be read a little more, um, I don't know, earnestly. Vincent Canby goes on to say, she's a, a Norma Ray championing the cause of UFOs. Yeah, I like that. I love that. <laughs> Working class barn burner. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of what she is in a way. I mean, she really is. She is a she is a modern prophet, you know, too, kind of in a way. Like, <laughs> like a lot. I mean, that's kind of like how a lot of these contactees styled themselves in a way. They very much spoke in very kind of religious terms a lot. And that um, Elizabeth Clare Prophet had like a similar pixie haircut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and um, the, the the movie's take on religion is just really I really liked. I because I, I, I that's one thing Hollywood really. I guess it, to me because I live you know I live in the Bible Belt like I live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I so I know exactly what that entails and like and I think a lot of people when they do it portray it in Hollywood they love to do either a really ridiculous caricature of how it is or they like to do a kind of like you know kind of like condescending view of it without really kind of understanding what these people actually believe I mean and 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 it's very uh and like this movie is not like that, which I really liked. It kind of like understands religion, the religious impulse in people. Which sure seems like, you know, given uh, given Mr. Binder or Binder's other writing credits, he is pretty familiar with the South. Yeah. Or, and or the Southwest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that that would definitely count as part of the Bible Belt for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and um, And so, yeah, I mean, it really gets it. Um, it's, it's like, I mean, it's like a lot of things like, like, um, movies that don't, yeah. Religion's like one of those things that movies don't, I mean, not, 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 not movies in general, but like Hollywood movies just never really seem to really truly get, unless it's like made by somebody who actually like is a, either understands it, like, you know, Scorsese or somebody like that, you know, somebody like, or grew up in like deep Catholicism. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he understands it from the inside out. So like, yeah. Or else it's uh, like Mel Gibson, you know, born again religious nut. 
Yeah. That's the dark side of it. Yeah, that's yeah. the dark side. But exactly the same type of thing. Yeah, I mean, the, again, like religion's one of those things. It's just like it's 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 such an essential part of human existence. And this like, so there's like all these different negative and positive things that are part of it. And a lot of movies either focus on one or the other, you know, or you know, or 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 there's like the third thing that they do is like they do like a really sentimental, corny kind of feel good thing about it. And like they, that's this movie is not really doing that exactly because it's like it's like a portrayal of how you know, humans have the need to believe in something larger than themselves. And, you know, it's just definitely not judgmental, except for like on people like the Bud character. I, w- I would say it's not trenchant, but it's not judgmental. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Any other things that stand out to you? <laughs> kind of been zipping along, just like the movie. Yeah, I, I talked about like pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Uh, Cindy Williams is great. She's really camp and cute, and you want to believe with her. Yes, which is important. I mean, you. I mean, you could have like the 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 Sheldon or brother Bud attitude toward her, which is you know, uh, look at this look at this crazy manic pixie dream girl with her UFOs. But you do want to believe with her because she's so lovable. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. However, like she doesn't know how to sell what she believes, right? Because she's so genuine. Yeah, the- and you're almost happy that she begins to learn how to sell her message later in. Yeah, there's that whole scene where like um, she's at like some uh, convention, like some new age kooky convention, and uh, a lot of people are like kind of hounding her, asking questions, or, or just doubting her, and she's trying to explain herself, and then Sheldon goes up and like tries to defend her. And, uh, and just, but just basically just by threatening an audience member, <laughs> that's his way of defending her. But that, you know, um, and, and like, they like use each other as these supporting characters in the same way that like Bud and Sheldon did in the revival tent. Yeah. Like they, they're kind of like, uh, you know, they're like wrestlers. They're kind of just, you know, kind of poking at each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, um, he, he makes that point, like you know, you you, you don't know. How, I mean, you don't know how to sell this to people and stuff. And like, she definitely, I guess, kind of does after a while learn learn to do it. And uh, uh, there's also like a like kind of like the thing that kind of sets up the climax a little bit is the uh, brother Bud buys some or he buys it gets an option on the the land where the mountain that she believes the Sasser is going to land. Yeah, and. So of course he sets up a revival tent there, and um, you know she's there's like scene she's there to and she goes there with Sheldon and they are like you know there's but like Bud's trying to collect money from people and she's like trying to stop him from doing that and it's hard to tell whether she actually means it in that case or whether she's actually been uh, like evangelized into the Sheldon Bud way of salesmanship like you you say you don't want money so they throw more money at you i didn't read it like that I, to her like the whole thing it's a very pure thing it's not like she's it's it's a serious thing and then and to them it's just like oh it's another opportunity to make money but they and they do have kind of a, a spat about that in the later stage. yeah yeah and it's, i mean he, he starts singing and then she kind of like starts go along with him a little bit but still she sheldon at one point does he, I mean, he never really truly abandons her exactly, but like he definitely threatens to a bunch of times. And uh, there's like one, there's like a scene where he like he gets into a fight in a bar. She's angry at him or something, and she wants to go to the cops. So she goes to the cops and tells them that uh, there's going to be these stolen cars coming. Yeah, and like I said, you know, I think it's just really there to set up the drama for the end, so that everything's happening at once up on the hill. You know, the UFO is about to come down and the cops are about to make this bust. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And then I mean, but it does like also in that last scene, there's like an inspired feverishness that Sheldon and Arlene have like kind of a Bonnie and Clyde thing. They know that they're on the run in the night in the middle of nowhere and the UFO is coming. And it's kind of sexy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's like it's like that's like finally where he like you see he's finally committing like this is yeah this is I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this happen with each other. Damn it! Like he's finally excited about it. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, then of course that's the, uh, maybe that's tellingly what where the UF when the UFO lands 
really, you know, in the sense. Yeah, because yeah, in a sense, like his their arc as characters is kind of completed in the sense like they finally figured out what they wanted with each other and stuff and they and all that. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's like an interesting like thing because like that's kind of when the UFO shows up because it, like it shows up like another light like, oh, you expect it to be another helicopter. And of course, no, it's an actual uh actual spaceship you know and uh very very minimal minimalistically portrayed but i like that you know just a very simple classic flying saucer and uh and you don't know whether they're raptured up into this flying saucer they they could just you know keep running into the night and and go off to the motel to uh you know yeah be glad you know celebrate the <laughs> Celebrate this spaceship coming down. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a really nice ending. I really liked. I really liked it. Like it's 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 a nice ending, but it's also like you know at least open to interpretation, which is cool. Um, yeah, that kind of wraps up the movie. I mean, it, like there is that little brief quote. I guess it's from Sheldon. I for some reason I thought it was Brother Bud, but it was like kind of a muff. It sounded muffled on the uh, YouTube version that I heard, but um, about believing or something, and then it goes to the credits and. Uh, yeah, and like you said, like I was watching, just looking at the credits and the soundtrack, and just like, there's not like a single like, like non star on the soundtrack. <laughs> like everybody, it is like a it is a country western folk kind of like all star lineup there. It's really it's pretty 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 impressive. I mean, of course, that's again probably why the movie was uh, shelved for so long. <laughs> um, and it's like you know the the typical like outlaw stuff but it's also uh more outlaw folk things like john Bryan. yeah yeah and also like there's like you know like country music of course is such a country western music is such a good soundtrack because you know, all the songs are about loneliness and and heartbreak and things and it's just like such a it's just a great way to pair with the themes of the movie and um and it's also you know it's funny as fuck yeah 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 like there's like a, the song euphoria uh, believe, was it, I don't remember who which one is it. Roger Miller did it. Some one of that somebody did it. I don't know. Yeah, it's Roger Miller. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like I forgot how it goes, but it's like it's kind of catchy. And um, maybe that's where he got the idea for the, the name of the movie. I guess I don't know. I think we've covered it pretty well. Do you think? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know how much more there is to say about Euphoria. Yeah, but I uh, I really had a blast here. Like this zipped along. I mean, I I can't believe it's been an hour. This was great. So much fun. If you have any constructive comments, movie suggestions, or stories of your own otherworldly sightings or encounters, drop us a line at saucercinemapod at gmail.com.